Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Smoke News Radio. This is your host, Jason Isaac Huff-Brodsky, and I found some good news clips out here for you today, and I'm going to try to read them, and I'm trying different ways to get the scroll to work, so uh, sit on tight, and let's go uh, check out the fun news that I found out there today. This came through on March 20th, 2018, and this is all, this is talking about could pi be finite? And this is from the Quora, the contributor and expressions by the, um, expressed by Forbes. Uh, contributions are their own. Let's see your turn there. We've got this nice new shirt tie thing. It seems to want to make a noise. You like to make a noise. Because, you know, as you try to figure out things in the world and get them all dialed in, you know, sometimes you just got to use nickels and dimes and wires for all that to get it. So here we go. Is it possible that pi is finite? But we haven't calculated it in full. Originally prepared on answer by Alan Amit, PhD in mathematics and Cora. Is it possible that pi is finite, but we haven't calculated it in full? My first reaction to this question, many others like it, is exasperation. Really? Again, but let me start with a few straight-up answers before I indulge in some measured rating. It's not possible that decimal expansion of pi is finite, and we just weren't patient enough. Pi is an irrational number, and irrational numbers have non-terminating, non-repeating decimal expansions. This is fact, not belief or hope. It is possible that whoever taught you about the decimal expansion of pi has incorrectly presented it as we've never managed to reach the end, or we've never found a pattern, or we haven't been able to calculate in full. That's not a pattern. Such statements are nonsense. We know what pi is with complete precision. We can prove that it is irrational, just like we can prove that square root of 17 is. I mean, that's, you can't divide stuff like that. Anyhow, this has been known for 250 years now, way more if you really know human mathematics. This has been, also you should realize that decimal expansions are usually terrible at representing numbers in full. They can't even represent one-seventh in full there are many other ways of representing numbers, and pi is plenty perfectly finite, clear representation. Finally, do not be misled to think that pi is infinite. It's not. It's a finite number. Less than 44. Once again, the decimal expansion is just confusing you. You wouldn't say 1 in 7 is infinite, right? Or uh, the square root of 2. And now what i really like to know is why. Why does the question keep coming up over and over? And over? Well, it's infinite to the decimal place to get tiny and tinier. Fractal. Why are people so worried about the decimal expansion of pi? What's the problem with it being, decimal expansion being infinite? Is it some kind of blemish in our existence? Can pi be an infinite number in non-inflating space? Is there a base where pi is a rational number? Yes. Can we create a math that forces certain non-real numbers like pi to be finite? What would the consequences be if pi had finite numbers of digits? If we cannot calculate pi exactly, how can we claim with confidence that it requires infinitely many decimal places to represent? Is it possible to fully compute all the digits in the decimal representation of pi? Why haven't we found the exact value of pi yet? How many digits would pi have if it ended? Will we be able to complete pi? Is pi a finite or infinite number? The question in hundreds of variations has been answered hundreds of times. Pi is finite number, is a finite number. It is irrational. It is computable. 
It is finitely definable. It has a pattern. Some of its representations, the poor ones, require infinitely many characters. Plenty of other representations that much better ones only require finitely many. Whatever that sentence means, I'm not sure. The digits in the decimal expansion of pi don't matter. Internet's still on. Seriously, please don't worry about them. Many, many numbers have infinitely long decimal expansions. Some are repeating, most are not. It's okay. It's not an issue. It's not a problem we need to fix. It's not a problem we need to fix. And in fact, it's not a problem at all. Decimal representations are often the worst possible way to think about a number. All right. Basically, uh, get to know uh, the circles of the universe. The whole world is made up of pi and it's just part of everything. And it's so inexactly definable from our point of view we keep having to go getting closer and closer and closer and closer. It's not like it's getting bigger or smaller. It's just exactly where it is as we're trying to measure it down with our numbers. It's like, oh, no, wait, I'm over here. Uh, you know, it's just the numbers of the world are beautiful. And just glad to be part of these. You know, we're all wonderful numbers. Here we go. This uh, Sex in the City star says she'll help you get high. Cynthia Nixon supports fully legalizing marijuana in New York as she runs for governor. By Noah Menskar, Patch Staff, April 11, 2018, 2.35 p.m. Sex and the City star says she'll help you get high. New York, New York. New Yorkers won't have any problem lighting up if Miranda gets her way. Sex and the City actress and Democratic, Democratic newer national candidate Cynthia Nixon on Wednesday called for New York to legalize recreational marijuana to reduce racial inequality and raise millions of tax dollars. Ugh, off other people's health again. The simple truth is, for white people, the use of marijuana has long been effective, been legal for a long time. Time we legalize it for everybody else, Nixon said in a camp video posted online Wednesday, and we'll see who her and her buddies make marijuana. Profits... Because, you know, you got to know someone in that game, you know, or you're not making near. Okay, we'll get there. Keep rolling. We got some articles. New York has a medical marijuana program and has decriminalized small amounts of pot, but racial disparities and punishment remain, even though white people and people of color use the drug at similar rates. Some 86% of people arrested for marijuana in New York City last year were black or Hispanic, city officials have said. The figure across the state is 80%, Nixon said. Well, legalizing and regulating the drug as nine other states have would stop a key front in the racist war on drugs, generate hundreds of million dollars in taxes, and boost agriculture, Nixon said, instead of like making the black people pay in fines. Like, hey, you're going to support our thing by making what you do illegal. You know, and lighten up the stresses on society. I mean, that's a whole stress. The veiled shot at Governor Andrew Cuomo, her primary opponent, Nixon, said pot would already be legal if there was a more political purging coming out of Albany. In 2018, in a blue state like New York, marijuana shouldn't even be an issue, she said. Cuomo is seeking a third term this year, has said the state plans to study the economic, health, and criminal justice impacts that legalizing marijuana could have on New York. The governor reportedly defended his stance Monday, arguing New York is ahead on the issue, despite the fact that pot is already legal elsewhere. 
what we said is, let's get the facts and make a decision based on the facts. Kumo told reporters Wednesday, according to New York State of Politics, we now have states that have legalized marijuana. Let's look at the facts and see what happens here. Yeah. All right. Keep rocking it. A little more of the sex in the city. Cannabis can have a noticeable effect on your sex life. Marijuana is commonly known to have the properties of an aphrodisiac. That's backed up, of course, by tons of anecdotal evidence about sex and weed. A playful attitude in the bedroom can be quite hot. But more and more, it's also reinforced by the latest scientific studies. Have you made weed part of your bedroom play? Here are five marijuana, five ways marijuana can affect you sexually. The first, cannabis users have sex more often. This one makes complete sense because sex and weed can be mind-blowingly good. An in-depth study from the archives on sexual behavior on how alcohol and weed impact sex found some couples want more sex after the first sexual episode on marijuana. That implies it was pretty damn good the first time. A large 27th study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine strongly suggests that regular cannabis use may increase sexual drive. People who use weed had 20% more sex than those who did not, and this applied to both genders. Marijuana use is independently associated with increased sexual frequency and does not appear to impair sexual function. The team led by Dr. Andrew J. Sun, Dr. Michael L. Eisberg concluded, a positive association between marijuana use and sexual frequency is seen in men and women across all demographic groups. Secondly, cannabis users are more picky about their partners. Interestingly, according to archives on sexual behavior studies, whereas alcohol tends to make people less picky about their sexual partners, weed has the opposite effect. Even in cases where people said cannabis turned them on or even just made them want to talk more, they tended to be more selective about who they wanted to be around. Weed goggles, in other words, can have a converse effect on beer goggles for most of us. And caffeine. Cannabis lowers inhibitions, fosters intimacy, and increases sensuality. Many stoners report that weed makes them more relaxed, helping to lower sexual inhibitions, reducing anxiety can have very positive effects on your sex life. The forbidden aspect of sex and weed can facilitate intimacy between partners. The archives on sexual behavior study found Indulging in one mild taboo with another person can lead to breaking others. Sex and weed can enhance physical sensations. Many users report their sense of touch is heightened. For many men, marijuana can shift some attention away from their usual single-minded focus on the climax. This can result in a more relaxed, less hurried, more sensual experience for both partners. It's also probably why, in one survey of 800 men, 83% reported cannabis enhanced their sexual pleasure. Perception of time can also be altered when combining sex and weed, which naturally leads us to number four. Our fourth, sex and weed can mean more and longer orgasms. Let's imagine for a moment 
that your perception of time has been slowed down by cannabis. Let's additionally imagine that you're having an orgasm. Get the picture. For most of us, an orgasm that seems to last much longer than usual is certainly not going to be a problem. A few women report that weed can make it more difficult to orgasm because of a certain lack of focus, according to the archive study. But many more say sex and weed may make the big O easier due to lowered inhibition, increased relaxation, and heightened sensuality. Dosage is important when it comes to sex and weed, as with cannabis use in general. Dosage is extremely important consideration when looking at the herb's sexual effects. If you take a few hits, the tendency of marijuana to reduce inhibitions can be ideal. But when consumed in larger quantities, the aforementioned lack of focus can become a factor for both men and women. <laughs> the cottonmouth dehydration experienced by many users can extend to other body parts, including the vagina, insufficient doses. That means lubrication can become an issue when very high. There's another good reason to pay attention to dosage on date night, too. If you consume too much cannabis in too short a time, nap time can come a little too soon. Don't be the one who rolls over and falls asleep when there's more fun to be had. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm not throwing all these articles out there. There's, you can take pieces of that article and search it on the net to find the exact source. Okay, so... Musk's SpaceX helps NASA get busy testing human and bull sperm in space. Well, you know, we're pretty sure there's some gravity on Mars. So we're going to see if we just want to hang out in space, if we can get this to do that. I mean, what are these guys doing, you know? Okay, so this is by Bruce Brown. Post on April 15th. Do sperm squirm the same in space? And some of these, I don't even sometimes believe some of these are even an article, but they could be. I just find some things that forget birds and bees. NASA's California Ames Research Center wants to know if human sperm measures up to the bull sperm in space. And Elon Musk's SpaceX is helping. The Sperm Squirm Project is called Micro 11, a missed opportunity for space science chuckles. <laughs> On April 2nd, 2018, NASA launched freeze-dried samples of human and bull sperm on SpaceX CRS-14, the transport company's 14th cargo resupply mission. The giant rocket blasted off from Cape Canaveral for approximately 41-hour flight to the International Space Station. You can watch the bull and human sperm being launched in the SpaceX video below. No need for concern about the video rating, despite the transport company's name. 
NASA plans to compare male reproductive material from the two mammals to see how human sperm measures up to bull matter. Additionally, fodder for a catchy project name. Why test sperm from both humans and bull? It makes sense to study the effects of space travel and reduce gravity on human reproductive health. But what about bulls? Is NASA considering shooting up astronaut aurochs for bovine booty calls in space? It turns out bull ejaculation scores higher on motion consistency than human sperm, which is often varied. As a side note, NASA's new release is mum on testing male commitment in space. No such tests have been successful on Earth. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. So, there we go. That's what's happening up there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we got some All hands busy. It needs to be activated to start swimming when it arrives in, on site, as there will be a female bull present and a female male present in space to activate the sperm. With no species in operative style activation, sperm squirts around randomly, possibly trying to answer a call for smoke. Really? Okay. Kick off the reproductive process. Deposit sperm must start swimming faster towards an egg than fused with the egg surface. So they didn't say they're being uh, the aim while that they're aiming for. While a sperm cell swims, its membrane has to become more fluid to facilitate fusion. In early experiments with bull sperm, the sea urchins astronauts discovered swimming activation happened faster in space's microgravity than on Earth. So that's a good thing, disregarding any concerns about premature activation. Activation meaning get to the egg? So I, 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 if I don't understand some of the articles, guys, I'm just like, what's, uh, I'm not going to do a self-test in this situation <laughs> with this article. In the same test, however, the pre-fusion membrane fluidity changes were slower up there than on Earth. They occurred at all. So the sperm got busy faster, but often swam with no final purpose. Well, yeah, there's got to be the chemical smells and signals for sperm to follow, right? Uh, sea urchins, they are set, as you can see in the picture that came along with cut and paste, they're set a high bar for reproductive excitement and commitment. The prickly ocean creatures turn themselves inside out like socks as respective genders release clouds of sperm and eggs. At the International Space Station lab, the crew will thaw the bull and human sperm sample, add chemicals to trigger activation and fusion, and record the activity on video. The samples will then be preserved, shipped back to the Ames Research Center, where scientists will analyze results of microgravity hookups and compare them with similar tests on Earth. Cool. Uh, NASA Ames, that's a cool place. I got to work there for a month. That's fun. Um, all right. You guys are listening to Smoke News Radio. 
we are about 11.20 in right now, and let's keep going and see how many articles we can get in in this two-hour broadcast. It's also simulcast through YouTube, Smoke News, and also Blog Talk Radio, Smoke News. Bam, bam, let's keep the radio going. Okay, NASA's test satellite will supercharge search for nearby Earth-like worlds and sperm, right? No, it's, sometimes some of these articles are like, whoa. When was the last time you said sperm so many times in the same sentence and not work in a clinic? I mean, unless you're, that's just what you like saying every day. So, in your eye, from the top, NASA's test satellite will supercharge search for nearby Earth-like worlds by Harrison Tassoff, space.com, April 15th. On Monday, April 16th, the Transistine Exoplanet Survey Satellite Test will launch from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida. On the day before the cool news, NASA's new exoplanet hunter will train its sights on nearer, brighter stars than its predecessor did. If TESS lives up to scientists' predictions, it could energize our search for life in the cosmos. When the Kepler Space Telescope launched in 2009, Scientists didn't know what fraction of stars hosted planets. The Kepler mission was a statistical exploration looking to see how frequently planets occur around stars. Harvard astronomer David Latham told Space.com, One of the big surprises from Kepler was to find this whole population of planets with sizes between that of Neptune and Earth. And there aren't any in our solar system. Zero. They're everywhere out there said Latham, who's worked on Kepler projects for nearly 20 years. Kepler is what made us become aware that planets are as common as telephone poles. The SETI Institute astronomer Seth Sarson told Space.com, but the stars that Kepler was starring at for four years, they were all somewhere between 500 and 1,500 light years away. Tests will survey and local neighborhood for planets like Earth. boom, boom, so I will search for small planets for you. An artist's illustration. Credit. NASA Goddard. I, I try to cut and paste these articles as I go through. Put all the ads out. Tess is designed to find planets orbiting nearby stars spread across the sky. Astrophysicist and pioneer exoplanet researcher Sarah Seeger at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology told Space.com, the satellite is not specifically intended to look for planets that can support life but it can find planets orbiting in the habitable zone of small stars, said Seeger, who serves as a deputy science director on TESS. TESS will find signals of planet candidates, Seeger said. A lot of the follow-up work will go into determining whether these candidates are truly planets rather than binary stars. Artifacts in the data or something else. Once this is accomplished, deeper investigation can begin. Unlike with Kepler, the stars... Test examines will be bright enough and close enough to allow detailed follow-up studies with large ground telescopes, the Hubble Space Telescope, and the upcoming James Webb Space Telescope. The amount of starlight a planet blocks tells astronomers the world's size, while the frequency with which the planet passes in front of its star indicates the world's orbital period. Scientists can determine the planet's mass by using the Doppler effect to measure the wobble the planet induces on its star, and mass divide by the size equals density. So astronomers can determine whether 
they're looking at a puffy ball of gas or a solid chunk of rock. What's more, these planets are close enough for other telescopes to peer inside with their atmospheres. When a planet transits a star, some of the starlight passes through the planet's atmosphere before reaching Earth. Different gases absorb different wavelengths of light, and scientists can determine the composition of the planet's atmosphere by analyzing the spectrum of light using a more powerful observatory, like in that, that split second as it passes right through the gaseous layer. And the lensing effect of the atmosphere, astronomers can study the starlight that filters through exoplanets' atmosphere, searching for signatures of molecules that may be signs of life. Astronomers can study the starlight that filters through exoplanet atmospheres, searching for signatures and molecules to signs of life. Okay. 20 years ago, if, I told you, if you told me that we were going to do this kind of a spectroscopy of atmospheres of planets around other stars, I would have said, you're crazy, said Lantham. Now we're doing it. Scientists are looking for signatures of life, byproducts that organisms might emit into the atmosphere. The first thing is we're looking for water vapor. Seager said, because all life as we know it needs liquid water. No. And water vapor is a sign of surface water. After water, oxygen would be fantastic. Oxygen is our best biosignature gas on Earth, Seager said, so we're looking for what we know. After that, we have lots of gases we're interested in, but mostly in space, we're looking for gases that don't belong, that there are in high quantities, enough to, re- to really be detected from far away. The Drake equation we visited to the planet hunter. Many products of biology. Oh, you know, sometimes you get like, get a little sneeze. Kind of works on you. Many products of biology can also come from geology, though. For instance, if scientists see methane alongside many other hydrogen-rich gases and sources, it's likely not biological, said Sager. However, finding methane together with oxygen would be promising. Because these gases would react with each other and become something else if they weren't being continually produced, she said. Unfortunately, it's often impossible to completely rule out one source over the other. On the other hand, scientists may overlook signs of life that is radically different from us. It's a little bit like drunk looking for his keys. He looks under the lamppost because that's where he can see them, Anthem says. We look for life that is similar to our own. Because we think we understand the organic chemistry involved. And so we think we know how to interpret the evidence for it. Future telescopes like NASA James Webb Space Telescope will follow up on test exoplanet discoveries to verify if newfound planets have atmospheres that could support life. The search for intelligent life is guided by the Drake equation, a formula derived by astronomer Frank Drake to estimate the likelihood of receiving signals from intelligent civilizations. The term of the equation began with the number of stars in our galaxy and proceeds on the number of civilizations actively broadcasting their presence into space. Kepler mostly firmed the fraction of the stars out of planets. The test mission will enrich our understanding of how many planets could support life and even the fraction of those planets where life may actually occur. Seeger explained, constraining the equation further, 30 years ago, if you asked people, do you think there are lots of planets out there? Most people who knew anything about astronomy would say, yeah, probably there are, but nobody knew. The Kepler researchers discovered that the universe is littered with planets. For the first time in 300,000 years, Homo sapiens have found planets around other stars, as far as we know. 
Shortly thereafter, scientists began to get enough data to hypothesize that many of these planets might be habitable. Over the past quarter century, science has increasingly led scientists to believe the existence of life may not be a miracle after all. And he said he sees no evidence that this trend will stop. Tests will lead, will lead the way for wealth and discoveries and deepen our understanding of many phenomena in the cosmos. There's a technical astro, astrophysical issue that will interest a lot of us in the scientists in the community, says Latham. But I think that the question that is going to catch the attention of the educated public is a big one. Are we alone? All right. Are we... Oh, wait, hold on. All right. All right. I think that might even be a little better. There we go. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Getting, getting the audio proper it takes a little while sometimes because there's all these things going on. It's a news world. All right. So uh, let's go jump back to California. Exclusive analysis. Only one in seven California cities allow recreational marijuana. Just like our rights to grow marijuana. The microphone took a dive. Microphone took a took a took a took a took a you know? They say this is a lapel. Is it actually wearing a collar? Is that what that's for? Dang, that's a new thing to me. Wow. Wow. Oh yeah, here we go. Exclusive analysis. Only one in seven California cities allow recreational marijuana stores. March 15, 2018. So far, only San Francisco Bay Area has legal cannabis lounges. But West Hollywood and Palm Springs are looking to open as soon as they are able to. By Bookstags and Ian Wheeler. April 15, 6 a.m. 18, <laughs> 18 months after California voters enthusiastically endorsed legal marijuana, just one in seven cities in the state allowed recreational cannabis stores, according to a first-of-its-kind study by this news organization and its California partner, and only one in three allowed any kind of cannabis business at all. Proposition 64, approved by 57% of state voters in 16, promised to bring California into a hazy new age, making it legal for people to carry up to an ounce of marijuana and grow it at home but it also gave cities and counties a strong say in exactly what would be allowed and when. The result is a crazy quilt of regulation. Our study is the most comprehensive look to date at how the industry is taking shape. Some towns, among them San Jose and Oakland, are cannabis-friendly, allowing a wide range of businesses to cultivate or peddle a product that residents are free to use. Other cities, including many smaller jurisdictions across the Bay Area, are less enthusiastic, with some blocking virtually every type of marijuana-related enterprise, and in some cases, passing ordinances that seem aimed at regulating personal use as much as possible, despite the voters' will. We began gathering details on local marijuana policies last year. In January, just as recreation sales became legal, we launched a a database with some of that information offering cannabis rules from about half of the state. Now, with the state about to celebrate its first 420 since sales began, we've upgraded that work with rules from all 540 city and county jurisdictions in California. 54 counties. And, okay. 
do, 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 the information they got an online thing. The data reveals some interesting trends, conflicts, and anomalies. It also shows that leaders in some communities are far less enthusiastic and in a small number of cases more enthusiastic about cannabis than the residents who voted for and against Prop 64. Among the findings, fewer than one in three California cities, 144 out of 482, allow any kind of cannabis business to operate in their borders. In just 18 of the state's 58 counties permit cannabis businesses in unincorporated areas. Fewer than one in five California cities even allow medical marijuana dispensaries, even though medical marijuana has been legal in California since 96. Of the 144 cities that permit marijuana businesses in their borders, just 57 are levying taxes on the industry, which doesn't mean cannabis and the 87 others is tax-free. There's a state tax of 15%. That's largely because of Prop 64 requires governments to get their voter approval for their tax scheme. But cities that have approved taxes are beginning to rake in the dough. San Jose made nearly $2.2 million in cannabis revenue in the first two months of the year, while Oakland made $2.6 million in the first quarter. While state law sites says cities cannot completely ban adults from growing six marijuana plants, officials from two tiny Northern California towns, Gridley and Butte County and Montage in Siskiyo County, do exactly that, saying it is illegal in those jurisdictions to grow cannabis indoors or outdoors. Fresno County Assembly is taking a different approach to the issue. It allows home growers but charges the state's highest cost for a permit to do so, 1420 for those six plants. Many people seem to think that it's a free-for-all when it comes to cannabis in California now that recreational marijuana is legal. But as the numbers above show, that's far from the case, and even our numbers may paint an overlay enthusiastic picture. A couple dozen cities, places such as Moreno Valley, Davis, have passed rules to allow marijuana businesses, but have yet to fully develop the regulations or issue permits to let those businesses start. And only once these regulations are in place can a marijuana business apply for the needed state license. That's why even though 61 cities and nine counties have ordinances on the books that allow recreational marijuana stores, as of April 6, 18, the State Bureau of Cannabis Control had licensed recreational shops in only 34 cities and five unincorporated county areas in California. A couple dozen cities are leading the pack on a marijuana friendliness case, meaning they're not the most lenient cities in the state when it comes to cannabis policy. Riverside County has by far the highest number of permissive cities with six that score above 96 points on our scale. A few other counties have two 96-point cities each, including Los Angeles and Sonoma. Oakland is the only barrier city that surpasses the 96 scale. To get above 96, cities and counties must allow every type of marijuana business licensed by the state. That means permitting medical and recreational licenses for cannabis sales, cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and testing. They would also have to allow the residents to grow marijuana at home, both indoors and outdoors. More than five dozen cities score zero on our scale of cannabis friendliness, including the Bay Area Fremont, Hercules, Coma, and Campbell. Many areas are far less hospitable. Every city in the tiny counties of Madera and Sutter have passed the toughest rules possible. Perhaps the biggest surprise is in the Humboldt County, which is famous for cannabis production, 
despite the region's reputation as a cannabis hotbed, despite having a couple cities where cannabis ordinances are lenient, four of the seven cities in Humboldt County earn zero points on our scale. Of course, Humboldt County continues to have a thriving black market in which legal sales might compete. To get a zero score on our scale, the city has to ban all marijuana businesses block residents from growing marijuana for personal use outdoors and require them to get a permit to grow it inside their homes. In some cities and counties, cannabis industry rules contrast sharply in how residents there voted on Prop 64. Imperial County again stands out. Only 45% of unincorporated county residents there voted in favor of legalizing recreational marijuana. But the Imperial County Board of Supervisors voted in November to welcome every type of cannabis business, giving the area a score of 95.9 on our scale of permissiveness. Oakdale and Riverbank. In Stanislaus County are the only two cities in the state that welcome every type of recreational marijuana business, even though a majority of residents in both cities voted against Prop 64. In other places, local policies are very much in line with voter wishes. Boner... My mom changes tune. <laughs> Joints Marijuana Company Board State sends cease and desist letters to cannabis businesses. Every licensed ones, West Hollywood and Berkeley voters, for example, tied with high of 83% of residents approving Prop 64. Both cities have also have liberal cannabis policies, just missing the leading board for most permissive cities in the state because they block commercial cultivation and other behind-the-scenes businesses. Kingsburg in Fresno County also has policies that align with election numbers. Residents of the farming town oppose Prop 64 more than anywhere else in California. With only 35% favoring marijuana legalization, city council members have taken a similar stance with policies that, uh, like Kingsburg, where you can't do anything either. Low marijuana friendliness. Wow. That's on the uh, reach of Edward Staggs from Reachbrook. B Staggs, S T A G G S at S C N G dot com. He's uh, put together one beautiful, beautiful list of uh, what I'm always throwing papers around. Um, beautiful list of what's going down in California. Because you're losing, y'all got fooled. Go, go, do y'all got some nappy votes. Y'all got napped. Been doing, doing by napping, napstead. Know that. Sean Parker got y'all. He wants you to know, fam, he's making money. Oh, he's making cash, hand over fist. He made his money back on the millions he put in. Oh, man, that money's already made back. That's why people are doing this. Like, oh, man, they pulled that off. Here we go. Let's keep let's keep rolling. Let's buy it on. What are we going to next? Here we go, here we go. Santa Barbara, California. A new kind of seaweed has been found along a Southern California beach. KEYT-TV reports marijuana has been washing ashore on Santa Barbara's west coast, west beach. The station says a viewer made them aware of social media video showing two men collecting pot buds among drift material in the surf line between Sea Landing and Stern's Wharf on April 7th. Harbor Patrol said some of the marijuana had already been picked up at Santa Barbara's West Beach. The Harbor Patrol first learned of the situation on March 31st when a dredge company 
called report seeing what looked like marijuana floating in the water. Harbor Patrol Supervisor Eric Ember says some of the marijuana was picked up and disposed of. If you see a bale of any drugs wash up on any beach, you walk away from that thing because they got cell phones in there. Those guys, they're not messing around. There's this one place that you just, that's not your, whatever it is, it's in that bale. They're tracking it. Keep on going. Talk about how you got away. <laughs> Seriously. Things are out there. There's such a drug trade going on, and legalizing is very important. Legalizing marijuana worldwide. Let's keep the ball rolling. Marijuana regulators send cease and desist order to 954 businesses in California. We have two options. Go full black market or accept regulations and become an upstanding tax-paying business, Zach Pitt said. This is on April 11th of 2018 by John Scheuer, Elon McVeigh. Marijuana Business Daily, Denver, Associated Press. Nearly 1,000 individual cannabis businesses have been sent cease and desist letters or emails by California regulators during an ongoing enforcement process, a first step in a long effort to ensure the state's industry is fully regulated and operating like those in more mature markets. According to a list obtained by Marijuana Business Daily, as of April 4th, California Bureau of Cannabis Control had sent cease and desist letters or emails to at least 954 businesses that the agency identified as potentially operating without full legal permission. The list provides insight into the locations of many marijuana companies that are either flaunting California's new regulated market or simply having a difficult time obtaining local permits. But a lot remains unknown about the state's gray and black market activities. The vast majority of cease and desist letters, 64% of those with some sort of listed address, are in the Los Angeles metro area. The number of letters targeting businesses in L.A. and its surrounding municipalities is 393. Cannabis Bureau is responsible for licensing retailers, delivery services, micro-businesses, distributors, and testing labs. Retailers in particular and delivery services account for the bulk of cease and desist letters, according to BCC spokesman. The Cannabis Bureau list included 1,245 entries, though 291 of those businesses appear to be duplicates in part because individual companies received more than one letter. The remaining 954 businesses are either unique entities or part of companies with multiple locations. It's difficult to ascertain where many of these operators are actually based since the Bureau's list doesn't include addresses or even regions for the 341 of the companies. Here are some findings that could be discerned from the list. The second most letters went to the cannabis businesses in the Bay Area with 94 recipients in San Francisco and surrounding towns. Over 230 businesses in Los Angeles proper were sent cease and desist letters nearly five times more than the number of state-licensed retailers in the city. Dozens of businesses in Anaheim and Costa Mesa, two Orange County cities that prohibited retail sale of medical and adult-use cannabis, received letters encouraging responses. The letters are having an impact, Traverso said. It's difficult to determine how much of an effect they're having. However, because it's tough to judge how many recipients are interested in taking part in the regulated market and how many are illicit operators trying to dodge paying taxes and licensing fees. 
Traverse couldn't specify how many letter recipients have responded to the Bureau or begun the licensing process because of the letter campaign. However, the responses have been encouraging. There's been a pretty decent amount of activity surrounding the letters, not just the letter, but us following up on the letter to make sure they got the letter and to look at the next steps. It's slow going, but so far we're relatively encouraged by the number of people who received the letter and said, okay, I'm going to get my application in. MJ Biz Daily was able to confirm that 954 companies sent letters by the Bureau. 76 still have operational websites and 22 other websites have been deactivated or taken down. Traverso declined to speculate what those developments may indicate, but he said more licensed applications are being submitted. We're hoping that those people are moving in the right direction and getting their ducks in a row and hopefully getting their state license. Beyond that, Traverso said the Cannabis Bureau has not determined what actions may be forthcoming against companies that don't comply with the cease and desist orders. We know we need to get out there and make the next step, he said, because that's the way people are going to say. The state's going to crack down if you don't get a license. Licensees getting letters. At least three companies that received several cease and desist letters already have obtained temporary business. Did I jump? There it is. Temporary business permits from the state, MJ Business is confirmed, and there could be more. Those three include distributor, retailer, Flocana, retailer names. All these have multiple licenses through the BCC. We received those letters. Uh, the owner knowing that his company got at least one at his three locations. At first, they thought they were a scam. Uh, they called them many times, and they never got any adequate answers, they say. And this is And then, then they said you're compliant, whatever that means. So all these people are not compliant. And then these guys, Flocana, they're like, work so hard, what's going on? Uh, there's when the cannabis comes that actively attempting to get licensed from the state but are having trouble getting the required permits because they're freezing all the permits. The situation facing Zoc Pitts, who's coming out of base, Pierre Nelbury, there's Pitts, Pitts, also president of California Cannabis Delivery Alliance, pointed out that many existing companies in LA are located in municipalities that haven't been licensing delivery business like his or are taking a long time to do so. Exactly, taking a long time to do so. That's put Goddess Deliveries in bad place, I guess. California law stipulates that marijuana businesses must, you know, this thing feels like all these different names of places, people. There are a lot of people in the process getting licensed. There are a lot of people not follow their licenses, just delayed purposely. There's been pretty much constant delays in LA delivery services. Uh, play cannabis complaint. I've, uh, in the legal industry, I've spent a lot of time looking cannabis businesses being to get into the regulated market. You have two options to go forward, black market, um, regulation become an upstanding tax-paying business. You can't really straddle this line anymore, but it seems that every turn they're being punished for trying to follow the rules. Okay. Yeah, you know, so, like, there we go. Y'all 
think you got it legalized, legalized, legalized. You think you got it legalized, just more legalized. Up your smoke. Okay, here we go. Keep rolling. Okay, we are on the 11:48 hour. Sweet. Trump promises GOP lawmaker to protect states' marijuana rights by Daniel Diaz and Philip Mattingly. CNN. GOP Senator fumes over marijuana memo reversal in Washington. President Donald Trump told Colorado Republican Senator Cory Gardner that the president will support efforts to protect states that have legalized marijuana, according to a statement from Gardner released Friday, a few days ago. The deal, which was first reported by the Washington Post, comes after Gardner said he'd block all Justice Department nominees after Attorney General Jeff Sessions rescinded guidance from the Obama administration, known as the Cole Memo, that had adopted a policy of non-interference with marijuana-friendly state laws. The Department of Justice was not consulted on this promise to Gardner from the president. According to a source familiar, Gardner was furious at Sessions for his move, and critics like Gardner argued the move violates states' rights and causes uncertainty in legal marijuana industries. While many states have decriminalized or legalized marijuana use, the drug is still illegal under federal law, which created a conflict between federal and state law. Late Wednesday, I received a commitment from the president that the Department of Justice's rescission of the Coleman who Someone pronounced that will not impact Colorado's legal marijuana industry. Gardner said in a statement, furthermore, President Trump has assured me that he will support a federalism-based legislative solution to fix this state's rights issue once and for all. He continued, because of these commitments, I have informed the administration that I will be lifting my remaining holds on the Department of Justice nominees. I continue to work... Oh, wait, this went into another article, I think. Right? Friday, President speaks, Senator. All right, well, anyhow, dude, President said, let marijuana rain. So it's rock and roll. Okay, Roger Stone to Donald Trump. Don't fire Mueller by Pierre Thomas Ali Dukas. Dukakas. April 11, 18. President Donald Trump's longtime friend, Roger Stone, says the president should resist any urge to fire special counsel Robert Mueller, who is leading the probe into possible collusion between Russia and Trump campaign during the U.S. presidential election in 2016. I actually think from a political point of view that the termination of Mueller would probably give the Democrats the firestorm they're looking for. Um, you know, uh, I would not recommend that, he said. Stone, a self-described dirty trickster and controversial figure in American politics, did say he believes the president should fire both Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein, who is overseeing Mueller's probe. I'm not recommending the firing of Mr. Mueller, but I am recommending a house cleaning at his Justice Department, Stone said. A decades-long friend of Trump, Stone is a veteran of the GOP political operative who worked with Presidents Richard Nixon and Reagan 
and partner with embattled former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manaforte at the outside political consultant firm Black, Manaforte, Stone, and Kelly throughout the 80s. The youngest person to testify in the Senate Watergate hearing, Stone is known for, among other things, the tattoo of Nixon's face on his back. <laughs> right on. Stone served as an advisor to Trump's 2016 campaign, but left a big controversy in 15. He currently serves as a key contributor to the alt-right Alex Jones radio show and YouTube media platform InfoWars. The notorious political provocateur's life was recently documented in a 2016 Netflix documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, which focused on Stone's eccentric political career. Asked if you thought Trump could survive in Washington's current political climate if you fired both Attorney General and Deputy Attorney General, Stone told ABC News that, he, that the sound economy and positive movement in relations with North Korea would protect the president. America is back, and I think that increases the president's leverage, Stone says, and I also think it makes the American people recognize this for the part, partisan hunt, witch hunt that it is. Stone's comments came amid renewed scrutiny about the political strategist's alleged contact with the WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange in the summer of 2016 after Stone had left the Trump campaign, which is believed to be of interest in the special counsel's investigation. Stone has said he had no prior knowledge about the hacking of Clinton's campaign chair, John Podesta's email, or the release of those emails by WikiLeaks, despite tweeting about Podesta's time in the barrel in late July, in late August 16, before the messages appeared online two months later. In September, Stone spoke of House Intelligence Committee for more than three hours as part of the panel's probe into the Russian interference in the election. Afterward, he told reporters that the majority of lawmakers' questions focused on his communications with Guccifer 2.0, the unnamed hacker who was taking credit for breaking into Democratic National Committee email servers. He said questions also focused on communications he had through an intermediate intermediary with Assange. Last month, Stone told ABC News that reports he met with WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange during the U.S. presidential election 16 are probably are provably false. Stone told ABC in March. On Wednesday, Stone stood by his early claim that he has no contact with the WikiLeaks publisher telling ABC News he has not met with, spoken with, texted, or emailed Assange. So, obviously, it's, they would say, like, the witch hunt. I mean, the thing is, sometimes you just got to make up an adversary. You got to make people look worse than they are. Say, oh, no, that, that, that person did that, 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 that. Yeah, huh, huh. Make up, like, unspeakable things and then, like, and use that as, like, foundations to distress and push away. Like, like you just, they're just throwing all this tar, throwing tar at each other. It's no fun. We just freaking all support each other and we just make some awesome things happen. Take this world. We're going, we're going, we're going. Yo, I want to go back to November on this one. The Saudi arrest of Bin Laden family, Sion Shatters Wayante by, uh, Aya Batari, Associated Press, in November 2017, 
United Arab immigrants among those caught in unprecedented arrests this week of top princesses, wealthy businessmen, and senior officials was Sion of one of Saudi Arabia's most recognizable families, Bayarik bin Laden, the chairman of the kingdom's preeminent contractor, and Osama bin Laden's half-brother. It was a stunning end to a decades-old alliance between the rule of Assad and bin Laden families that saw the Saudi bin Laden group secure a near monopoly on mega-expansion projects in Islam's two holiest sites, Mecca and Medina, throughout the regions of successive Saudi monarchs. The government says 201 people have been taken into custody in the purge, which comes amid an anti-corruption probe it says uncovered at least $100 billion in graft and embezzlement. Saudi critics and experts have called the arrests a bold and risky move by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, aimed at consolidating power as he sidelines potential rivals, silences critics, and dismantles alliances built with other branches of the royal family. The 32-year-old Crown Prince, who was the son of King Salman, is probably known by his initials MBS, is leading the anti-corruption investigation. He's also the force behind the so-called Vision 2030 plan, a blueprint for how to restructure the country and wean it up from its dependence on oil revenue. The arrests of bin Laden and the others not only signal the end of old alliances, but also speak to the larger demand being made on the businesses community to pay into the Crown Prince's economic vision in an era of lower oil prices. This is the beginning of the rise of economic nationalism, said Al coming in the middle, middle East, North African division of Yasha. <clears throat> a centerpiece of the plan is NEOM, a $500 billion project that promises to be the world's most futuristic and technologically advanced city, which was unveiled by the Crown Prince at a headline-grabbing global investment conference in Saudi Arabia last month. But instead of receiving major pledges to the project by Saudi business leaders, MBS got deafening silence, Camel said. Since the 1950s, the Bin Ladens have been the royal family's go-to contractor for some of its most sensitive projects, including construction of private palaces in the immediate boom years after oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia. As the royal family spent lavishly on trips abroad, new palaces at home, the Bin Ladens became their creditors as well as the contractors. Reliable and discreet, the Bin Laden group would go on to build confidential defense projects in the kingdom, as well as landmark skyscrapers, universities, military, hospital, and airport financial district, and much more. Run as a private company by the members of the large Bin Laden family, the firm is no stranger to political upheaval and changes in the kingdom. In fact, part of its success has been its ability to adapt to the whims of kings and princes. The Bin Ladens were able to remain essential to the royal family despite very dramatic events within the royal family, said Stephen Cole, author of The Bin Ladens, an Arabian family in the American century. The Bin Ladens were also no stranger to controversy that weathered the blow to the family name and the reputation after 9-11 attacks in New York, masterminded, claimed by Osama Bin Laden, son of family patriarch Mohammed Bin Laden. In 1931, Elder Bin Laden, a poor migrant who had traveled north in the 1920s to the Red Sea, Port of Jeddah, formed the company that bears his name. He married some two dozen women and fathered more than 50 children, including the future Al-Qaeda leader. After the 9-11 attacks, Bin Laden's hired lawyers and public relations specialists in the U.S. trying to communicate their disdain for Osama Bin Laden and their willingness to cooperate with Washington, Cole said. 
In the 1990s, under pressure from the Saudi government, Bakr bin Laden oversaw proceedings to strip his brother of all his shares and the family's company and wealth, a move that came as the kingdom stripped al-Qaeda leader of his nationality. Bakr achieved what he set out to do, but he kept the company intact and he kept it legitimate in the international economy and went on to concentrate primarily on construction in the region, and in Saudi Arabia in particular, Cole said. The Bin Laden group was crucial to Saudi rulers in 79 when militants laid siege to Islam's holiest site in Mecca for 15 days. The company, which had been working on expansion projects there, helped flush the rebels out of tunnels because they had the blueprints and the maps. For while Al-Saudi Bin Laden alliance had been a pillar of how the royal family retained power over the years, the news of the kingdom had changed, Kemal said. They helped the Al-Saudi family in time of need. But the utility of that relationships have been exhausted. It is no longer traffic for the all, attractive for all sides to retain that, nor can they afford to. In 2015, the Bin Laden group suffered two major blows, a collapse of oil prices and a collapse of one of its cranes. The crane disaster killed 111 Hajj pilgrims and pristine marble floors at the Grand Mosque, housing and cube-shaped cob. Wow. The firm came under investigation. A travel ban was imposed by Bin and the company remains embroiled in litigation to this day. The collapse of oil prices delayed government payments to contractors, and by 16, the Bin Laden group was forced to cut tens of thousands of jobs. Disgruntled workers complained they had not been paid in months. Hundreds took to the streets of Mecca and rare protests setting company buses alight. At the time, the company was in the midst of the largest expansion in the history of the Grand Mosque, a project initiated by the late King Abdul that included construction of one of the world's tallest towers topped by a neon clock. The firm was also involved in controversial construction projects ordered by the king that historians say wiped out key traces of Mecca's history dating back to Prophet Muhammad. In many ways, the Bin Laden's were seen as part of the old guard, a part of the economy that was based on personal relationships and not transparent. As part of the system, the Bin Laden group appeared to be doing well financially before the collapse of the oil prices, though it does not disclose its figures. Bakar Bin Laden is known to have private planes in real estate around the world. It may have cost the Bin Laden's heavenly as the crown prince moves to take down old alliances and power bases. You could easily see them caught up in a story about corruption and privilege. Cole said. All right. Oh, okay, you gotta move around a little. You know, you sit for two, two minutes, and you gotta like. Uh, Let me see you go. Uh, uh. All right. So, keeping it rolling. Smoke News Radio. What? From the Express Tribune Life and Style film, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the next Hollywood A-lister to be visited by the King Prince of Saudi Arabia by Entertainment Desk back in April 5th, 18. Saudi Arabia seems to be making huge strides with Hollywood. Just recently, the Vampire Diaries actor Ian Stramhalder was in Riedel to attend the Saudi Comic Con 2018. The kingdom is also getting its first cinema in 35 years comes April 18th, and now Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has reportedly been hanging out with the Fast and Furious star Dwayne The Rock Johnson this week. The two recently met in Los Angeles where the actor expressed his admiration for the prince's devotion to his kingdom. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Salman attended an intimate dinner hosted by Rupert Murdoch, interacted with the likes of Morgan Freeman, 
picked up Michael Douglas and Johnson. Michael Johnson? Douglas Johnson. Johnson Douglas. The Rock took to Instagram to express his fondness of the Saudi royalty hero. It was fascinating to hear his deep-rooted yet modern views on the world and creativity and certainly the positive growth he desires for his country. However, the former wrestler changed his caption a while later and reported the Business Insider notes that he had written earlier. On a personal note, I was extremely flattered. Truthfully, I was blown away to be told about the level of love Saudi people have for me and my popularity throughout the country. It was very humbling, and I look forward to my visit to Saudi Arabia soon. It will come as no surprise that, after John Travolta, Melly, Jason Mamo, and Neon, Johnson could be packing his bags for Saudi Arabia next. But does the Rock want to keep his surprise of visit, or did he just change his mind like the captain? Because he's going everywhere. I mean, he's going, to, he's already in that commercial going to the moon. Like, he's a big, rich guy that is running a big part of the world right now. And it turned over a lot of corruption that is kind of getting his way. And it's just like, you want to help fund a few of my what? If I just come over there and hang out and do what? You know, do do a few movies for y'all? I mean, isn't that part of it? You know, you got to grease the people. And so I thought that was the awesomest thing. So uh, just trying to find uh, not a lot of countries have their investments here in this country. And they use their own choices and business maneuvers on the Americans here in this country. Now, there's anybody living in this country. So I'm very much into business choices being made by people living in this country as opposed to outside the country. Real simple. On this rock. Woo-hoo. Keep it going. All right, six months after the Vegas shooting, we still don't know what motivated the killer. Um, we're, we're going to go through this pretty quick because if I was a gun runner, I would have a lot of guns just sitting there. Check out what I got. I got two hands. No way can I pull off all those triggers in what period of time? So, you know, six months ago, Stephen Paddock is reported to have locked himself in the Mandalay Bay Hotel. So that's two windows. And there's also forensic evidence from the hundreds of recordings of the bullets, the fire and the crash. And people, it kind of sounds like one if you're not paying attention. But you open it up forensically and there's a fire and then there's a hit on the cement. And there's multiple sets of those. Two for sure. 100%. All right. 64-year-old uh, is blamed for killing 58 people and injuring more than 800 people. Two arms, two arms are responsible for this. All right. Um, Gunshot wound with a picture that they have of him. They turned his body over and put it into the blood. So it's obviously moved. Uh, Investigation happened right away. Uh, they said they've got 21,000 hours of video, 200,000 images, only 43 interviews. Uh, they determined that Paddock meticulously planned it. 
amassed an arsenal and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Biggest open air concerts on his computer. Okay. I mean, that's, you just don't, what's, you don't type that into the net. What's the biggest open air concerts? Like, who types that? People don't type that. It's not how sentence structure works when you're asking for something. Uh, social modes, they also want their viewpoints to be known, but he left no manifesto. He left no test manifesto. He left no text of anything. He was selling guns, a whole bunch of cool guns, all these different types of guns. Two hands cannot operate all of them. I mean, Rambo and Schwarzenegger taped guns together. Riley taped guns together. She freaking fought the aliens. You know, you need to do that. They got tape. You tape four guns together and just go one to the next to the next. I mean, everybody's seen movies. Okay. They didn't find evidence. He was in contact with everyone. And then ISIS claims that they did it. But um, everybody's like, no, they didn't. Do, 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 do. To, to, to fund his gambling habit through the transactions and such. Lost a lot of money, right? Then they take his brain apart and such. I mean, it's like, because it's got to be one person right there. That's what they've they're given you on a platter. Had developed some kind of brain disease. No, this guy was selling guns. There was a whole bunch of people dying in the hotels that night. There was a Saudi Arabian prince meeting, and many people got killed. There were a lot of helicopters in the air that night, and there were some people who their leaders probably got axed. And they said, screw this. They smashed out the window and machine gun and got the heck out of the building. So... I mean, it's it's pretty simple. We can't be ignoring Vegas. Vegas is our number one priority. Syria, what the hell are you guys doing over there? Vegas is our number one priority. And looking at every single freaking viewpoint is so important. Saying like, oh, it was this one guy and his mental illness, but he was so capable to Rambo multiple guns at a time that you could only fire so many bullets. Now, 800 people, that's 800 bullets, plus another 50, that's at least 900, and let's just multiply that by two. You know, 1,800 bullets, you know, one window over to the next. You know, it's these things, they don't line up. And, and I'll get you that article with the forensics. Sound forensics. It's it's beautiful. You could do it on your own. SoundForge. Download any of the videos that were there from multiple different sites. You know, it's... All right, here we go. 
So, so again, they're they're back at him. Uh, so, the the this girl she wants to live, Mary Lou. Uh, so yeah, it was him. It was him. Look, I'm still alive. I didn't disappear like the Vegas chief of police has disappeared already. That guy's just gone, and so the news articles about him. I guess he took like a Tahiti vacation without telling anybody. Okay, neuropath. Uh, so they found an abnormal structure on his brain similar to Alzheimer's. You know, as we look into everybody's freaking stuff, they don't talk about like what medication he was on, what his counselors were feeding him. So they ripped this guy's brain apart. What's wrong with your brain? Why would you shoot upon people? Abnormal, aggressive behavior. It's like murderous tendencies. Surrounding structures. I mean, this is like... This guy's got to be a ninja to pull the trigger so quick, yet be freaking brain monkeyed. It's just like, tell me about this gun goes off in every single Rain Man detail about it. It's so, he's like got all these different guns. You see the gun runner. Gun, check out my guns. You guys are here at the Saudi Arabia King Fest and Prince Fest. And then he's just set up. We'll use your guns. Make sure you bring ammo. We want to buy at least 100 rounds, take it in the desert. Uh, so, so this guy, all right, yeah, so there. What about Vegas, Dr. President? Heal the nation. Don't let, like, sicknesses persist. And then uh, talks about could ISIS have been involved in Las Vegas shooting? FBI claims that uh, Steve acted alone. And then within hours, ISIS claims it was them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was us. It was us, you know. All you guys got killed, you know, because we wanted to hit that. And uh, they claim Paddock was a killer by his, like, new... Islamic name like it's like a street kid name or something like all the all the all the cool Americans are doing doing it we're getting these like one two three four five na- let, like mini name names and Americans we can barely like first name last name maybe you got a middle but you don't got five or six names like it's a, a sentence you're speaking to somebody that's Americans don't choose those names. It's just like, Bob Smith, BS. That's me, Mr. BS. So, I mean, unless he went by A.A. Baraka, Abala, Abba, A.A.B.A., 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 like you just don't like tattoo that. I love Abu Abu Nur Abu Akamagreen. Sometimes seeing that sometimes 
on your arm, dude. I mean, like, his girlfriend wouldn't tattoo that on his arm. You know, it's my name symbol. There you go. Okay, so he converted to the, the Islam. So he's given a name that he couldn't spell or pronounce or write in the native language. But this was six months before the attack. Okay, so he just became, like, just, I've got the, the material. Okay, so he claimed he converted. So, do, 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 do. so uh, his girlfriend says demeanor had changed. Leading up, coincided with his of a mass scene of firearms. You did, you're a gun runner. You just don't. The Lord of War, dude. Nicholas Cage did it right. Lord of War. Because, like, oh, chicka chicka bang bang. So, streaming's still going. Oh. All right, here we go. Jeez, sometimes some things want power, electricity. And it's like so much easier to just like strap something to the to the screen and just like hope that that's the right camera that will work because you're in a low light environment. And the thing is, the iPhone is a great thing. You just I figured out you gotta change your metric within Windows Network to to use a router. Okay, I think that's right. The metric to uh, have the Wi-Fi, it doesn't have internet, also connect when you're tethering through PDA net on your phone. <laughs> so, okay, so this is Bill Paddock. No history of mental problems, you know. So he was a bank robber, they say. What he was? Okay, his his dad was a bank robber. Sorry, of course the phone was covering the sun part. So his dad was a bank robber. Paddock's father was diagnosed as psychopathic with suicidal tendencies. Paddock never knew his dad, but um, possibly bipolar. You know, you can live in the calm world and go out there, yeah, shoot guns, ah, get aggression out, ah, come back, I am normal, do, do, do. You know, people don't have a way to, like, find a way to interface their worlds. He was using an anti-anxiety drug, as some Marxians say. The drug helps improve their aim. Like, as a him, value... <laughs> Yeah, help relax me, man. Hashashins. Hashashins, you know? Hashashins. Of course, it's at a little bit of an angle. Let you just be perfect. There we go. I think that is that. I'll just talk like this. Okay, hashashins, you know? Assassins. Hashashins. They go so doped. A fucking ganja. And they come after you with. Yeah. And they smoke dope. The, the drugs don't kill people. These drugs. They just 
do whatever, but people, they're the ones that kill people. Just know that. Like, people make drugs poisonous and thereby kill people. So anyhow, let's keep this going. Let's keep this going. Some say, I mean, it's all like guessing Paddock. I mean, Paddock, he's a country music fan. I feel he's, that's why he was where he is. So he could hear the country music, but like, we'll have to look at his iPhone record to find out what the story in, in those regards are, right? Um, Anti-Trump, wearing a pink T-shirt. Um, I mean, he was bored, I guess. You know, uh, Alex Jones is uh, telling him that uh, some of the hostage rescue team told him that uh, this stuff was filled with Antifa and Islamic literature, and they're pissed because they won't, their bosses won't give it out or something. You know, it's like some of these guys, they get credible information and no one listens. The popular right-wing reporter claims several U.S. congressmen are aware of evidence that links Las Vegas to ISIS terrorists who may have entered through the U.S.-Mexico border, right? So kind of put the ball up, you know, bring it back to the wall. It's the wall's fault. They were selling drugs on the street to the children, and then they went and grabbed these guns. You know, it's a potential arrest infiltration through the southern border during this incident. Known government, something is not adding up. Yeah, dude, she was selling stuff. Oh, wait. Is it still going? Yeah, okay. Dude was a hardcore leftist with Antifa collections, and people are like, who's paying Antifa? But no one listens to anybody. You know, our president respects other businessmen are way more freaking successful than him. You know, that's for sure. That can destroy his businesses in a click. You know, well, maybe three clicks. But still, yeah, in Halloween, they, uh, they called him their soldier by his Islamic name. You know, so they say uh, 50 attacks were uh, claimed and 43. I mean, why are they, what's their issue? They just chill out. Stop hurting people. They got more things for attacks, contemplating massacres. They say he booked rooms in Lollapalooza. Like, you don't get away from Vegas after pulling that kind of freaking maneuver. No. Okay. So the Crusader Alliance are these ISIS guys. I mean, like, I don't know. Some people say ISIS is all like, formed by Saudi Arabia or some of those guys but how could a whole country like I mean like Saudi Arabia is more there's less people there with money so it's like saying oh it's the United States that does you mean it was a businessman in the United States that did whatever it was so why don't you say by the same default it was a human that did that yes it was a human that did that like oh my gosh
Wow. Okay, let's go U.S. Congress. Let's get some more money into blowing people up. Why does Washington, D.C. always opt for war? First and foremost, war is profitable. The U.S. war industry which consists of corporate behemoths that manufacture weapons of war and material for the Pentagon and its allies works hard to maintain astronomical profits. It finances political campaigns in order to purchase loyalty from elected officials. It funds D.C. think tanks in order to maintain a pro-war narrative. Ensure new threats are always hyped and it advertises on national media. Forced on the some chance a corporate journalist might challenge the need for endless war, it is up to an informed public to remedy the situation. Understanding the following trends, which were distilled from recent Pentagon contracts, is a crucial part of forming an educated, mobilized citizenry. On March 29th, ACOM Technical Service received over 34.8 million dollars to help reinforce the soil and bedrock around the Mosul Dam. Through the form, the contract was rewarded without an open, competitive bidding process. The Mosul Dam suffers from debilitating structural problems, which were exacerbated by 2003 U.S. invasion. To lengthy 2003 U.S. invasion and lengthy U.S. occupation, the subsequent battles with militants who are largely the creation of U.S. foreign policies whose actions weaken the dam, the U.S. war industry who is repairing the dam, the U.S. Who, who is repairing the dam, the U.S. war industry. This is how the system works. They break it, then they'll, oh, I'll fix it. I'll break it, then I'll fix it. The U.S. war industry makes a killing destroying the nation and making a killing repairing its parts. Other corporations have made a killing off Iraq in the first quarter of 2018. Sally Global Holdings recently received $400 million for work and security at Ballard Air Base, Spartan Air Academy, Inc., a lucrative deal to train the Iraqi Air Force foreign military sales are part, part of the Iraqi portfolio. Over the past few years, FMS to Iraq has included American Science and Engineering Inspection and Screening Systems, AM General HMMWV, ATEX 40mm Grenade Systems, Arm Tech Infrared Flares, BH Defense Military Training, Boeing Scan Eagle Drones, and Avenger Missiles, Boat Trucks, Bombs, Colt Rifles, Dynacorp Vehicles, Rockets, Logistics Training, Bombs, Tanks, Anvos, Training for Iraqi Special Operations Forces, Cruise Missile Defense Systems, Jacob Logistics, Orbital, Oh my God. This list goes on. The ruin and repair of Iraq is just one part of the U.S. war industry's lucrative racket. <laughs> Missile production capacity in February newsletter reported on the war industry increases capacity to produce Hellfire missiles. Capacity to produce other missile types is expanding as well. On 6 March, base systems received close to $13 million to help increase production capacity of the advanced precision kill weapon systems. With its headquarters in London, base systems links the UK war industry to the United States, effectively underpinning the special relationship between the two countries. On March 19th, Raytheon received roughly 7.8 million to improve the production capacity of AIM-9X Sidewinder missiles. Steps Raytheon might talk to increase missile production, including adding more equipment, altering staffing levels, and upgrading its facilities. The war industry has been operating at full steam for the past 17 years. Now, these contracts tell us the boardrooms of prominent war industry giants believe there is reason to produce more hellfire 
inside Wagner missile? Is it war with Iran, a bigger offensive against President Assad's force in Syria, conflict in Korea, U.S. war industry expecting more sustained, high-tempo hostiles in the near future? You've been warned, targeting the Philippines war corporations know they need more conflict in order to sustain and increase profits. They cannot always rely on Southwest Asia as a primary driver of their portfolios. Cue the Philippines shortly after September 11th, the Pentagon deployed special operations forces to the Philippines under the guise of fighting terror. The unit known as Joint Special Operations Task Force Philippines, despite a name change, the task force's components are still active in the area. Troop levels, including conventional forces, have increased in recent years. The government of the Philippines benefits from the presence of the U.S. troops in two primary ways. It receives increased funding from Washington, D.C., and U.S. troops assist in the fight against pesky insurgencies in the southern portion of the country. The government of the Philippines knows the Pentagon will never weigh the grievances of those living in Mindanao. For example, prior to deploying troops across the Pacific, the war industry benefits from a U.S. troop presence in the Philippines because it gets to sell the Pentagon and the Philippines a variety of weapons and services. Contracts from March 18 illustrate this phenomenon. The JJLLLLC between JJ Worldwide received nearly 16 million to support U.S. Marines who have been deployed to the Philippines. Support ranges from mundane administrative tasks and the provision of cable television to airfield security serving food. On 30 March 2018, Raytheon received roughly 14.4 million for Philippines Maritime Proliferation Prevention. This package which falls under the administrative umbrella of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Proliferation Prevention Program is a result of classic war industry news. Pretend a country is vulnerable to WND smuggling or development and then push the Pentagon to address the situation militarily. Other recent contracts in which war corporations benefit from U.S. military operations in the Philippines include Dynacorp supporting Navy operations, Harris supporting command and control systems, and Boeing selling small drones to the Philippines Armed Forces. Now, through think tank affiliates and media assistance, the U.S. war industry will stress that the enemy of the day must be defeated in the Philippines. More troops, weaponry, and destruction will follow, and the profitable drums of endless war beat on. Why these trends matter endless war only helps Wall Street and war profiteers. Everyone else is harmed. The U.S. war industry kills civilians abroad. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. Back in the States, crushing inequality runs wild. Millions of Americans live in poverty, don't have enough to eat, lack affordable housing, and are denied adequate educational opportunities. The money that goes to the Pentagon could help alleviate such misery. Instead of the corrupt U.S. Congress, cheers as the war industry steals billions from the people's coffers. This is a criminal enterprise, plain and simple. Learning about the aforementioned trends is crucial because only an educated citizenry can recommend the appalling status quo. Understanding how the war industry operates is just one step towards achieving peace and economic justice in our lifetime. Christian Sorensen, a NewsBuds contributing author and analyst, is a military veteran and independent journalist. Thank you. You're listening to Smoke News Radio. Let's keep it going. Smoke News Radio. 153 arrested, a dozen children rescued in global child sex abuse probe by David Shum, web producer, Global News. 
Toronto police announced Thursday that law enforcement agencies in Canada, United States, and United Kingdom have made a total of 153 arrests in connection with international child sex abuse investigation, which also resulted in the rescue of a dozen children. Police said during a press conference in Toronto that the National Crime Agency in the United Kingdom first started the investigation in 14 when they were looking into an online group allegedly involved in the sexual abuse of children. The probe, nicknamed Project Mercury, eventually expanded to include Toronto police and law enforcement agencies in the United States. Toronto police said they observed a live stream sexual abuse of a six-year-old in 15 when they which then led to the arrest of 20 people. The child was rescued. In March 16, the Toronto Police Exploitation Unit discovered sexual abuse material involving an 8-year-old child and advertisements online. 34-year-old Kenneth Bauman of Saskatoon was convicted of six counts, including sexual assault, ministry, and noxious, but the child was also rescued. Investigators said police in other jurisdictions, such as Alberta, also observed the live stream sexual abuse of children. In two cases, in December 15 and October 17, a dozen arrests were made and two children were rescued. 40-year-old 40, 40 Anthony Graves of Edmund was convicted of four offenses, including making and accessing child pornography. Since 14, a total of 153 arrests have been made, and those convicted have been sentenced to between 30 months and 60 years in prison. A number of cases are still before the courts. Um, you don't make it 30 months if you're a child molester in prison. The shank finds you. Authorities are urging anyone who is aware of online child abuse to call their local police. <laughs> Protect those kids. Shank, shank, shank. So let's keep it rocking, rock and rolling. Okay. Apple sued an independent iPhone repair shop owner from Norway and lost business. Last year's Apple's lawyers sent Henrik Kusby, the owner of a small electronics repair shop in Norway, a letter demanding that he immediately stop using aftermarket iPhone screens at his repair business and that he pay the company a settlement. Norway's customs officials had seized a shipment of 63 iPhone 6 and 6S replacement screens on their way to Henrik's shop from Asia and alerted Apple. Companies said they were counterfeit. In order to avoid being sued, Apple has Hoosby for copies of invoices and product lists, order forms, payment information, prints from the Internet, and other relevant material regarding the purchase of screens, including copies of any correspondence with the supplier. We reserve the right to request further. Oh, my God. Oh, <coughs> I'm back and I'm bad. Just don't mess with fake apple pieces. Come and get ya. Let's see how we can put this back together here. All right, so we are back. Sometimes I just, my nose tickles. I gotta cleanse. Can't do that on live TV. You must be perfect. Well, I, I am. Look, I am a how creation that Okay, we reserve the right to request further documentation at a later date. 
The letter is sent by Frank Jorgensen, attorney at the Norwegian Law Forward on behalf of Apple, included a settlement agreement that also notified him the screens wouldn't be destroyed. The settlement agreement said Hunsby agrees not to manufacture, import, sell, market, or otherwise deal with any product that infringe Apple's trademarks. That's him required him to pay twenty seven, like four grand, to make the problem go away without trial. Intellectual property law is specialized area of law, and seeking legal advice is in many instances recommended. Orson wrote in a letter accompanying the settlement agreement. However, we can inform you that further proceeding and costs can be avoided by settling the case. Hughesby decided to fight the case. That's a letter I would never put my signature on. Hughesby told me in an email they threw all kinds of claims against me. He told me the law is not so friendly. Just wanted me to go sign the letter. It would be all over. I had a good lawyer that completely understood the problem. A good research to the law correctly. Apple sued him. Local news outlets reported that Apple had five lawyers in the courtroom working on the case, but Hughesby won. Apple has appealed the decision to a higher court. The court has not yet decided whether to accept the appeal. Why a Norwegian court case should matter to Americans? This, the specifics of Hughes' legal case apply only in Norway, of course. His case speaks to iPhone repair shops around the world. Apple's use of legal systems and trademark laws turns average repair professionals into criminals and helps the company corner the repair market for Apple products. In the United States, Apple has worked with the Department of Homeland Security and ICE to seize counterfeit parts in the United States and to raid the shops of independent iPhone repair professionals. ICE National's Intellectual Property Rights Coordinator Center rejected a Freedom of Information Ask request I filled in 2016 regarding Apple's involvement in its Operation Chain Reaction anti-counterfeiting team, citing that doing so could reasonably expect it to interfere with enforcement proceedings. Apple declined to comment for this article. In this case, Apple indirectly proves what they really want. Parhal Shahar, Husby's lawyer, told me in an email they want monopoly on repairs so they can keep high prices, and they therefore do not want to sell spare parts to anyone other than to themselves. Apple makes it makes its own replacement parts available only to Apple stores and ships and shops on its app authorized service provider program, and by becoming authorized, repair companies have to pay Apple a fee and buy parts from the company at a fixed rate. They're also restricted from performing certain types of repairs. There are many types of repairs, most commonly ones that require microsoldering for logic board damage that independent companies can do that Apple itself does not do. So there are many reasons why a repair shop might want to remain independent. Excuse me, is largely dependent on being able to import screens with covered up Apple logos to be able to operate in the market as a non-authorized iPhone repair technician. Apple continues to lobby against right-to-repair legislation in 18 states around the United States, which would require electronics manufacturers to sell replacement parts and repair tools to the general public and independent repair companies. Apple is proving themselves to be the worldwide poster child of the right-to-repair movement. Gay Gordon Bring, executive director of Repair.org, which is publishing this legislation, told me they continue to make our case for us to legal repair providers such as Henrik lying to consumers about CPU performance, throttling instead of battery placement, and the coup de grace hypocrisy, building products. Apple. Do do. Why is why is the video not happy? Sometimes it just 
the Apple product wants to be plugged in. <sighs> Who thought of that? Plugging your Apple product in? Man. It's performance throttling. It said battery placement in the cryptic graph hypocrisy, building products that are hard to repair, and then proclaiming they care about the environment. In absence of right to repair legislation, there are a few ways for repair professionals to get replacement parts for iPhones and Apple computers. They can harvest parts from broken phones and computers, or they can buy aftermarket parts from the Chinese green market, which is what usually in thousands and thousands of repair shops in the United States and around the world opt to do so. 63 aftermarket screens, parts on the green market are of varying quality. Some are made in the same factories as original manufacturer parts. Others are parts that fell off the back of a truck and otherwise went missing or were stolen from production lines. Others were made by the original manufacturer but didn't pass diagnostic tests. Others are copies made by third party. Legal status of many of these parts remain an unanswered question around the world, but the general consensus seems to be that a part is counterfeit if it is masquerading as an original manufacturer part rather than an aftermarket one. Counterfeit parts are tangible goods that infringe trademarks. The Organization for Economic Cooperative and Development, partnership between 35 countries and the United Nations Observer, wrote in a report last year, this definition seems straightforward but is further muddied because the often broken parts with original manufacturer logos are sent back to China to be refurbished and sent back to the independent repair companies. Are those counterfeit parts or are they repaired or refurbished genuine parts? There's a repair operation called PC Company. Who's imported 67 iPhone 6, iPhone 6S screens that fell into this gray area? They were seized by Norwegian customer officials because Apple logos on the inside components of the screens had been covered up by ink marker. The ink marker could be removed by rubbing alcohol. According to Oslo, oh, they got a strip remark. My dad did that. With a laser engraving, you got to burn off the logo. It is not obvious to the court what trademark function justifies. Apple's choice of imprinting the Apple logo on so many internal components. Hughesby told me in an email that he bought from screens from a company he found in the electronics fair in Hong Kong that they were refurbished screens assembled by a third party. Hughesby told the court that the logo is covered up because it has never been relevant to market the products as Apple products. The court decision states, the company has never removed the cover-up of the Apple logo on the screens that have been imported and has no interest in doing so. The company does not pretend or market itself as Apple authorized and does not give any indication if the repair comes with an Apple warranty. The court decided that Norwegian law does not prohibit a Norwegian mobile repair person from importing mobile screens from an Asian manufacturer that are 100% compatible and completely identical to Apple's own iPhone screens, so long as Apple's trademark is not applied to the product. The court noted that importing refurbished parts with visible Apple logos on them would be in violation of European Union trademark law. It would be legal, the court said, if the refurbishment of the screens had happened in the EU rather than Asia. But crucially, decided that Apple... Apple logo would not be visible to customers while the product was in use. Like... 
Apple logo would not be visible to customers while the product was in use. Hughesby's had not actually used Apple's trademark. Apple does not own the product after they have sold it. The court also acknowledged that Hughesby does, doesn't have many other options when it comes to importing quality parts that either have Apple logos permanently removed or never had them on to begin with. It is not obvious to the court what trademark function justifies. Apple's choice of imprinting Apple's logo on so many internal components, the court wrote, Hughesby is largely dependent on being able to import screens with covered up Apple logos to be able to operate in the market as a non-authorized iPhone repair technician. Just add, believes Apple will lose its appeal. Apple does not own the product after they have sold it, he said. Others have the right to remove the logo and sell it as an unoriginal compatible part. The specifics of Hoosby's case won't matter for American repair shops, but that Apple continues to aggressively pursue a repair shop owner over 63 iPhone screen signals. That Apple is not interested in changing its stance on independent repair and that right to repair activists and independent repair companies should expect a long fight ahead of them. I feel this case was extremely important for them to win. Right to repair. You know, you guys want to fix what you got, you got to get it from the manufacturer originally. They got to say they're it. Oh, but someone repaired what was slightly broken that they made, but you still can't use that. It's right to repair. Let's keep it going, ladies and gentlemen. We're on roll. This is from the ORAS. Steve Wozniak drops Facebook. Profits are all based on users' info. Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, has formally deactivated his Facebook account. Wozniak has not been involved with day-to-day operations at Apple in decades. Nonetheless, has a legendary status in Silicon Valley. He is an active user of social media. His Twitter account regularly sends out automated messages where he is traveling, what he is eating. In an email interview with USA Today, Wozniak wrote where he was no longer satisfied with Facebook knowing that it makes money off user data. The profits are all based on the user's info, but the users get none of the profits back, he wrote. Apple makes its money off good products, not off you, as they say with Facebook. You are the product. His Sunday announcement to his Facebook followers came just ahead of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg's scheduled testimony for Congress on Tuesday. The CEO is also reportedly set to meet with members of Congress privately on Monday. Wozniak wrote that Facebook had brought me more negatives than positives. Uh, Facebook is still under notable public pressure in the wake of the scandal involving Cambridge Analytica, the British data analytics firm that worked with Donald Trump presidential campaign. And Cambridge Analytica is one of like a hundred other companies that scraped the heck out of Facebook that haven't told you they have any data. Donald Trump presidential campaign. The company is said to have retained private data from 87 million Facebook users despite having assured Facebook that the data was deleted. Cambridge Analytica has affiliated companies maintain what they, that they did nothing wrong in the wake of March 2018 revelations. There's been increasing calls for users to delete Facebook like who pays for that? You know, like, it's obviously people want to 
creates like Facebook is getting too big. There's groups that want to pull it down. So what do they do? They they talk it down. There's nothing new that Facebook is doing. People have not seen already. I've only relatively few appear to have actually done so. In a call with reporters last week, Zuckerberg said the number of people who have undertaken such efforts remains small. To when Wozniak tried to change some of his privacy settings in the aftermath came out, he said he was surprised to find out how many categories for ads he had removed. Um, it's complaint book. I do not feel that this is what people want done to <laughs> Says the man with so many extensions in his operating system. Uh, ads and spam are bad things these days, and there are no controls over them or transparency. Apple co-founder did not immediately respond to ARS request for comment. Facebook has also not responded to ARS repeated queries as to whether the company would consider a paid more privacy minded option for some users. Man, bandwagon. I mean, I, I got to work with Steve on a play once at our high school. Uh, his daughter was going to a high school I'd gone to, and friend's dad was doing the lighting. I didn't see like the old Game Boys. I mean, come on, bandwagon, bandwagon. What's Facebook doing differently than it done since day one? Nothing. People know once you put your stuff on there, it's up there for good forever. You don't own it anymore. Same with Google. What do you guys think you own? What you put up there for them, for the future people? Because the future gets to go through all your pictures. Don't think they don't. You think you click delete? No. They put in some compressed thing to open 30 years from now. After, maybe 100 years from after whoever's past has. Past, you know? Whoever's in the picture complain. It's really quite simple, ladies and gentlemen. Anything you put online is there forever. Anything you type is there forever. Or at least human ever, that's a long time. So let's keep going. Elon Musk admits Tesla's autopilot will never be perfect at preventing accidents after drivers killed and smashed with highway barrier. Speaking with CBS News on Thursday, Elon Musk said the system is not designed to replace human control of vehicle. Last month, federal officials forced Tesla out of an investigation involving the death of a man testing the company's autopilot system. The NTSB is currently looking at an autopilot system placed inside the Tesla Model X. The vehicle Walter Hung was testing last month in California. The widow, the widow of Hung said she intends on suing the car company, claiming Tesla should have known that the autopilot system was not ready for human testing. Billionaire high-tech Elon Musk admitted on Thursday that the autopilot program's automated company will never be perfect at preventing accidents. Speaking with CBS News on Thursday, Musk said that the system is not designed to replace human control of the vehicle, but instead aid motorists with driving tasks like staying within the lane. What's wh- well, what's the purpose of having an autopilot if you still have to put your hands on the wheel, Elon? Gail King, co-host of CBS, is willing to ask the same inventor during the interview. Oh, it, it's because of probability of an accident with autopilot is just less. I think it's long-term auto assist. I've been in auto assist. The system worked as described, which is that it's a hands-on system. It is not a self-driving system. 
Last month, federal officials forced Musk's electronic car company test out of investigation involving the death of man's testing company's autopilot system after crashing into a highway barrier. Grieving video of Tesla's crash victim plans to sue and breaks. The National Transportation Safety Board said on Thursday that Tesla released information at the probe before coordinating their findings with the government, drawing heavy criticism from federal officials who had not completed their investigation, according to CBS News. The carmaker said in a statement, however, that it withdrew NTSB panel because we believe in transparency, so an agreement that prevents public release information for over a year is unacceptable. NTSB is currently looking into an autopilot system placed inside Tesla's Model X while the vehicle Walter Hong was testing last month in California. It's important to emphasize we'll never be perfect, Musk says. Nothing in the real world is perfect. But I do think that long-term it can reduce accidents by a factor of 10. There are 10 fewer fatalities and tragedies made up numbers. The window of Hong said she intends on suing the car company, claiming Tesla knew or should have known the autopilot system was not ready for human testing. While Tesla said they are incredibly sorry for the family's loss, they blame the accident on Hong, meaning that he did not have his hands on the wheel at the time of the crash, despite repeated warnings to take control of the vehicle. Does not prevent all accidents, such as stranded, such as standard would be impossible, but it makes them much less likely to occur. The company said in a statement. Now this is the statement on the death of Walter Hong. We are very sorry for your family's loss. According to the family, Mr. Hong was well aware that the autopilot was not perfect, and specifically, he told them it was not reliable in that exact location. Yet he nonetheless engaged the autopilot at that location. The crash happened on a clear day with several hundred feet of visibility ahead, which means that the only way for this accident to have occurred is if Mr. Hong was not paying attention to the road, despite the car providing multiple warnings to do so. The fundamental premise of both moral and legal liability is a broken promise, and there was none here. Tests are extremely clear that autopilot requires a driver to be alert and have hands on the wheel. This reminder is made of every single time autopilot is engaged. If the system detects hands are not on, it provides visual and auditory alerts. This happened several times on Mr. Hong's driving that day. We emphasize with Mr. Hong's family, who are understandably facing loss and grief, but the false impression that autopilot is unsafe will cause harm to others on the road. NHTSA found that even the early versions of Tesla autopilot results in 40% fewer crashes and has improved substantially since then. The reason that other families are not on TV is because their loved ones are still alive. That's fucking cold. But true, how so cold. Be like, we know your husband's gone. The guy was not on the wheel paying attention. And even where he said it was dangerous. And it's just like, and there's like, uh, people got to pay attention. You just don't, cars are not doing their own. They can, they know lanes, but they don't know really what's going on. You got to, got to have confidence in yourself. Don't sit with autopilot. You let the machine control everything. And it controls your destiny. You control your destiny. That's all that matters. I really want to thank everyone tonight for listening to uh, Smoke News Radio. Um, we got more articles. Increased sophisticated weapons space, countermeasures, the speed read. You know, 
Russia, United States. We got this bomb. Apple, 12 people arrested for leaks. You know, um, Governor Trump thanks Governor Jerry Brown for sending National Guard to the border. Thanks. Let's go beef up the border. And then uh, Jared, Donald Trump tweets, yay. And then there's the deep state. And uh, it's not the content of the news that is embraced. It's the style and the manner of presentation. You know, the presentation is far more corrosive and far more deadly than the content. No more fake news. And seriously, like this world is so so is long. Uh, and then another one about someone like Facebook spying on me. It's like people are just like, Google and AdWords and Analytics runs on every single platform and the microphones are not listening unless you're being hacked or spied on or stalked by a separate individual. The company, Facebook, does not have the servers or the computing power to record everybody that's out there. They don't have that. It's not yet. They can't record everything that comes through. You would see it on your freaking, your CPU, on your phone. You would see it through your data bandwidth. You know, you go, you go to a place, you click on one word, and those are all keywords. They all get sent to you. You look at YouTube keywords, Google Analytics is there. Then Google Analytics is all over the place. So this is a girl being all paranoid about the, it's Facebook, it's Facebook, it's Facebook, it's Facebook. And it's all just like so much opinion, you know? And Zuckerberg's like, we're not recording you guys. So, okay, so old iPhones being used in Brazil. Like a lot of this old technology isn't really old. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. It's being repurposed and put out there. Uh, so it's super, super awesome helping the medical fields across the world. And that is magic. And then uh, fighting sex traffickers. President Bill, President Bill signed into law. Two bills are hugely contentious. But also, you know, sex trafficking is go after you mofos and destroy all that because uh, it's bad. Um, and also in Australia, there's a huge fire around with their nuclear reactors. Like, ah, no fun. No fun. And that, I think that's it right there. Thank you for listening to Smoke News Radio or Smoke Sneeze. <coughs> There we go. Smoke Sneeze Radio. Uh, just a little, quick little summer summer call. And I want to thank everyone out there for listening tonight. I hope you had a really wonderful time. And uh, at some point, I'll be chopping these into small little pieces and we'll get them out to you. So I, I appreciate y'all because you guys are, you guys are really fun. I mean, seriously, like, doing this all for y'all. Whoa, whoa. Boop, 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 and it's recording, and it's streaming, and it's coming straight to you, one way or the other. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much, Smoke News Radio. Really appreciate you guys listening, and uh, keep rocking. Keep, keep things on the up and up. Smoke News Radio. Smoke to smoke to smoke, smoke, smoke. Smoke News Radio. Oh, Smoke News Radio. Smoke News Radio. Smoke News Radio. Radio. Later, yo.